0: chapter 1. If you need one, just let the ushers know as they get nearby your role. You will note at the bottom of this particular sheet, there are some blank lines. Don't worry about that right now. We'll work our way down there, and then I will ask you to answer the question at a further point in this service. You cannot answer it if you don't listen and follow through what is before. Now this is a very short chapter, only 12 verses, but there are some very significant things that we need to look at under the heading Confident in Suffering. Now just by way of introduction, This letter of 2 Thessalonians was written undoubtedly a short time after the first letter was written to correct some false teachings that had come to the church relative to the coming of Christ. The church was going through some terrible persecution, as you see from verses 4 through 7. Just note those verses with me. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith, Now listen, in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Now friends, that's heavy testing. That's heavy stuff. These people were going through the fire. In all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now those verses are very significant. Terrible persecution. Whatever you want to write there that will tell you as you scan this page, these people were going through the fire. They were being tested. Heavy Testing, terrible persecution. Now some of these believers already believe that they were in the Day of the Lord, capital D, capital L, that awful time of tribulation that was prophesied of in the Old Testament. That's what they felt. They thought they were in the period of tribulation. Now, it is possible that a letter supposedly written by Paul had come to the church, for in chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, he says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter. As if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. You see, this is some of the heart of this whole thing. Some of them had been led to believe that Christ had already returned and the tribulation period was enveloping the earth. You can imagine the impact of that kind of thing upon their spirits. Somebody had written a letter to that effect, word had gotten to them of that effect, and Paul sits down now to correct all that had been received by the Thessalonians. Now we're in a similar period today in a sense because there are a lot of books being written and a lot of things going around in regard to where we are prophetically. Now God has called me to be your pastor and keep up on these things, so let me just assure you again that Jesus Christ has not returned for his church. Not yet. My wife is still here. That's my gauge. The tribulation has not yet begun. The Antichrist has not yet been revealed. The millennium has not yet started. The next big event on the calendar of God is the rapture of the church. I still believe that. We are going to be saved from wrath by the coming of Jesus Christ and then the evil one will be revealed as is pointed out in the second chapter of this letter. Verses 7 and 8. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. No doubt about that. Only he who now restrains, and notice it's a capital H, he who now restrains will do so until he, capital H, is taken out of the way. There's only one person that could be referring to, and that's the Holy Spirit. He is restraining the activity of Antichrist. Now, when the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, in that sense, no longer working in the hearts of people to bring them to Christ in conviction and through the preaching of the gospel because the saints will be raptured out of this, he then says, and the lawless one will be revealed. Speaking of Antichrist, if you think it's bad now, wait until the restraint is gone and the lawless one is revealed, whom the Lord will consume, he's not going to get away with it, with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So let me just try to set it Somewhat in focus for you tonight, we're still awaiting the coming of Jesus Christ. We're still anticipating the fulfillment of 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, verses 13 through 18, when the dead in Christ are raised first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. We're looking forward to that, and we're listening for sounds. That's what... Day we are in. So, with that as a background, we have Paul's letter to try to explain God's program for the age and to encourage these suffering saints with the revelation of God. Now you have the outline. Suffering helps us to grow. How many believe that? How many of you like to go through it? I didn't see any response to the second question. Somebody has said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It's how the church grows. You see, the devil overplayed his hand, for in his mind was this thought, if I can just destroy a Stephen, if I can just get him stoned to death, then this whole thing will die out. Well, when Stephen was stoned, there was a bigger fire than there ever had been before. You'd think the devil would learn his lesson, but he's not too smart because in five chapters later he thinks that if he can get rid of Peter, why well, the same thing will happen it will put the the fire out and He can do his thing, but instead of Peter getting killed, Herod gets killed. We covered that this morning. And the church grows again. And on through the book of Acts, this thing goes. And on into the early history of the church, the devil didn't learn. He kept trying to destroy the church, but every time he'd put forth a new effort, the church was bigger than it had ever been before. Do we have any modern example of this? Oh, you bet we do. The nation of China is a great example of this very thing. Mao Tung, the tool of the devil, thought if he could just destroy the Christians, but he couldn't go out and kill them all, so what he did, this was his device, if he could just separate all the Christians, then there would be no fellowship and they would all just die out and that would be the end. So he literally did that. He separated all of the Christians and he scattered the Christians into various places so they would be all by themselves. (laughs) He is so dumb. All they did was plant seed and the Holy Spirit watered it. And when they tried to break it up, there were so many, they spread them out again and it was so stupid. When the smoke clears, there's over 50 million Pentecostal born-again believers in China, and it could be twice that many. It's very difficult to really count. It's incredible. One of the great moves of God in our time is in China, and only eternity will reveal the depth of that particular revival. Somebody said the suffering of China has multiplied the blessings because it has purified the church. And that's what this letter is about. Now notice on your outline there are three things under suffering helps us to grow. Difficult experiences cause faith, hope, and love to grow. Verse 3, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting Because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. Now if it takes persecution to bring that to pass, I say, send it, Lord, send it now. Because without love and without unity, you really don't have much, do you? And there are too many Christians sitting around churches arguing and fussing about who's going to lead this guild and who's going to take care of this committee, and they've lost sight of the real important things that we're supposed to be about. you know what they need? They need a good dose of persecution. Then they would stop thinking about the committee, they'd stop thinking about the guild, and they'd start thinking about survival. And when you think about survival, you know you have to have love and you know you have to have unity. And when you've got that, you have the power that can bring men to Christ. And the church grows again. So, Lord, if it's needed, send it along. Amen? Well, then, secondly, their testimony was growing as well for all the churches heard about them, according to verse 4. We ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith. How do you get patient? By having something to be patient about. So if you have no persecution, you have no opportunity for patience to do its perfect work. So if you want to develop patience, say, Lord, send me a little tribulation. Send me a little trouble, Lord, not too much, but a little, that I may improve my patience and grow my patience and I may be steadfast in the work that you have given me to do. That's what was happening through these believers. Tribulation worketh patience, Romans 5.3 says. If you want to write that verse down, write it down. Romans 5.3 Tribulation worketh patience. And patience doesn't simply mean waiting it out. It has to do with a steadfast endurance so that whatever is dumped upon you, you can handle by the power and strength of Almighty God. You can make it. You can get all the way through with God's help. Hallelujah. Now when suffering comes, It's either going to do one or two things. It's either going to make you or break you. If the believer accepts the suffering as from Christ and counts yourself as Paul did, worthy to suffer with him and for him, you will be all right. But if you fuss about it, if you're always steaming about it, you're going to be in real trouble. That's why Romans 8, 28, God wrote, Through Paul in the Bible, all things work together for good to those that love God who are the called according to His purpose, not ours, His purpose. He sees better than we do. So what are we to do as believers? We're to accept what comes our way and learn from it and grow in it and know that God will give us the endurance if we see it rightly. We're going to make it. We're not going to be destroyed. We're not going to be defeated. Now, before we leave this first section, you see 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19 listed on your notes. Turn with me to that section before we leave to number 2. This is the greatest section in the Bible, in my opinion, on this very subject. Peter now, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says to us in verse 12, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened to you. That's the way we normally think. My, this is strange. Why me, Lord? How many of you have said that? Why me, Lord? As though some strange thing had happened to you. Verse 13, underline the first two words. But rejoice. Oh, my goodness, how can we do that? But rejoice. Why? How? To the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Some of you young people who are here tonight who try to stand for Christ in school, you ought to learn that verse. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part he is blasphemed, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, And it begins with us first. What will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? If it begins with us first. If the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Last verse. Therefore, let those who suffer, underline this next line, according to the will of God, going back up to the 17th verse, there are some who suffer... Outside of the will of God, they suffer because they have not been faithful to God or to the gospel of God. That suffering they deserve. But if you suffer who are desirous of following God, let it be according to the will of God. Don't sin. Don't bring judgment upon yourself. If God sends the test, then you will endure. Commit your souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. Powerful instruction from the Apostle Peter about how to endure in difficult times, confident in suffering. Number two, suffering prepares us for glory. Paul does not look upon suffering as a burden, but as a blessing. (laughs) How many of us have learned that? Would you say it with me? Suffering is not a burden, it's a blessing. Say it. Suffering is not a burden, it's a blessing. You didn't do well. Suffering is not a burden, it's a blessing. One more time. Suffering is not a burden, it's a blessing. That's biblical. A privilege. Note verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation... Those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. He's going to trouble those who persecute the church, who bring tribulation to the church, but to the church who is suffering, he's going to give rest. Hallelujah. He's going to bring his presence into that situation in such a way that you can truly say, I am resting, fully resting. In him. And then, of course, he refers one day to the time when we're going to enter into total rest as the Spirit of God lifts us into the heavenlies. God fits us for suffering. God prepares us through suffering for things that are yet to be revealed. There are many scriptures that we could cite that. Bring this truth out. Just mark down a couple of them, if you will. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, which is part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus refers to this very theme in that great sermon he preached. And in 1 Peter 4, where we just read a little bit ago, in the earlier verses, verses 12 to 14, and 1 Peter 5, verse 1. Those verses will teach you a great deal about suffering preparing us for something ahead. The question is, can you enter into the glory of God and into the presence of God without suffering? It is apparent from Scripture that it is impossible. You have to taste something of what Christ went through. You have to taste something of what Christ endured in order to appreciate the glory that is resting upon Him and that which He wants to have resting upon you. Romans 8.18, we are not yet in the position of recognizing the glory that is going to be revealed in us. Romans 8.18 says that what we appear or what appears to be the situation in life today is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is yet to be revealed. The Lord's preparing us. Second Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, the light affliction, he says, is but for a moment. Now what are we talking about here? We're talking about suffering compared to the glory. The suffering in no way compares with the glory. The suffering over here is but for a moment, and it's light compared with the glory which is going to be over here. So don't reject this because if you reject this, you're going to reject this. But you don't want to miss the glory, so you'd better let the affliction come or the suffering come in the will of God in order that the glory might be revealed in you. If you come to that point in your spiritual life where you're mature enough to say, Okay, Lord, I'm ready. Their steadfastness in their suffering was a testimony to the world and to other churches of what God was accomplishing in and through their lives. When Christ comes to earth with his church, he's going to judge the wicked who will be living on earth, and the judgment, I believe, is going to be in comparison to how they've treated the Christians, how they've treated the church of Jesus Christ. And I would not want to be in some of their shoes I would not want to be in some of the boots of those who are persecuting the church and have persecuted the church of Jesus Christ in the past. Because this passage indicates that as they have treated the church of Jesus Christ, so will the judgment of God be upon their heads. How dangerous it is. How serious it is to tamper with what God has established as his eternal body. Now before we move to number three, let us once again rehearse the order. The secret return of Christ in the air for the church. I say it's secret because the world will not really know when he comes. It will be a sound that the believer hears, the trump and the voice of the archangel, and we're going to be caught up. There'll be a lot of empty graves. There'll be a lot of mysticism on earth because of what has happened, but it's a secret calling. It's only those who know Jesus as Lord that's going to hear this sound and going to be taken up in that moment. And then the day of the Lord will be on the earth. This matter of Second Thessalonians chapter 2, when the man of sin is revealed and a period of great tribulation moves across the face of the earth. The man of sin. And then after that period of seven years, the return of Christ to the earth takes place. Where according to Revelation chapter 19, there will be a coming back on white horses, with Jesus, the rider of the great white horse, in the lead, and we are going to set up a kingdom with our Lord right here on earth. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 21, then speaks of the judgment of sinners and the binding of Satan. For a thousand years there will be no tempter then, and for one thousand years there will be a period of peace on earth while we reign and rule with Jesus Christ. Well, what will we be doing taking care of all of our Lord's affairs. Somebody has to run the cities. Somebody has to run the great golf courses. And so we will all be assigned. I've got my bid in. Won't it be wonderful? No sickness will trouble us because we'll be in our new bodies. Everything will be good. The curse will have been removed. The golf ball will go straight. 300-yard drive, drives will not be a thing uncommon, I don't think, in that day. It's going to be wonderful. Satan. Well, Satan makes all of that happen, you know. So if he's removed, it's bound to be better. It's bound to get it all straightened out. No fussing, no fuming. He will rule with a rod of iron so that evil will not even be able to have sway. Oh, my. How wonderful is the plan of God for his people. Paul is encouraging these believers with this plan. Don't be discouraged. No matter what has come your way, be faithful. Be faithful. God's plan will come to pass. Then number three, verses 11 and 12, suffering glorifies Christ today. Therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ shall be glorified in his saints in that day, but believers ought to glorify him every day that they live. Fanny Crosby's blindness did not cause her to become surly, arrogant, or rude. She praised God to the day she died. She even thanked God for her blindness. She wrote over a thousand hymns and it was because of her blindness, her impediment, that these flowed from her life. One of them we sang tonight, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. That's what Paul's writing about. Fanny Crosby caught a glimpse of that. and She was actually looking beyond even though she couldn't see It was all dark to her naturally, but spiritually she had powerful eyesight and she could see into that next world and knew that she was going to behold him face to face. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. Oh, hang on, saints. Don't be discouraged. Glorify him every day that you live, whether there's a burden or not a burden. Glorify him with your life. Let the people of this world see that whether we're up or whether we're down, we are Christ's and nothing will shake us and nothing will move us from the glory that God wants to reveal in us. The world is waiting to see true blue believers. I want you to be among them. The believer can be confident in whatever he is going through because God has said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. The good work that God begins, Paul said in writing to Timothy, he will complete. I believe that. He never finishes in the middle. When I was pastoring up in Olympia, a Baptist pastor friend in the community was stricken with cancer One of my associates and I went to Seattle one day to visit him when he was undergoing treatment. It was the kind of cancer that demanded a lot of chemo and he was losing his hair and he was a very good-looking
1: man
0: and when we came in, he was actually lying on a table the day we were there with the treatment going on and it would last for a good while and so... The doctor allowed us to go in because it didn't affect the treatment at all. And while he was undergoing some of the treatment, talk with him and pray with him. And his name was Charlie. And I shall never forget looking down at Charlie, losing his hair, going through this treatment. He was weak and he was becoming thin in his body. But I said, you know, Charlie, God can trust you with this. I just feel in my heart to tell you that God can trust you with this and something good is going to come out of it. And we laid our hands on him. And just a few weeks ago, Charlie was here in this church worshiping God with us, visiting us from Tacoma, Washington. He's still alive. And this was over 10 years ago when this struck him. He's still alive. And you know what? It's exactly what I said. God trusted him with it. And Charlie Myers is glorifying God in his weakness. He's still pastoring. He's still preaching. Sometimes he has to sit on a stool, but that's no problem. He's not proud. He'll sit there on a stool and teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he let me know he's not planning to stop. God can be glorified in my strength or God can be glorified in my weakness. I was so glad that God led us to step into that room that day when he needed help and he needed a word. God gave us a word that is still being fulfilled today. God can trust you with this, Charlie, and it's going to work for his glory, for your good. If he were to stand here by me today, he'd tell you it's been for the glory of God and for my good not always easy to say that when you're going through it. The hair is falling out and all the other problems are ensuing. But God will be there. I believe that he giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. I believe that. That's what Paul is expressing to these early Christians. So if you're in the will of God, you don't need to worry whether the sun is shining or whether it's behind the clouds, in it all, the glory will come to God and the church of Jesus Christ will be in hand. Now look to the bottom of your note. The big question of Paul's time and ours, why are faithful Christians suffering while godless unbelievers are being promoted? Big question. How would you answer it? What would you write down? There's an answer here in this passage of Scripture. Payday hasn't come yet. The Lord, through Paul, clearly, clearly makes known that he's going to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. I don't have any particular joy in saying that, but I must say it because it's part of the gospel. God's day has not yet finished. People are not going to get by with anything. So when people say, why are faithful Christians suffering while godless unbelievers are being promoted? The answer is, God is at work in the world and one day will vindicate his own Judgment will come to the disbelieving. We're just not to the end of the chapter yet. That's it in a nutshell. God is at work in the world and one day will vindicate his own. He hasn't chosen to do that totally yet, but he will. And judgment will come to the disbelieving, according to Paul's teaching. So the key word in verse 7 is what? What is it? R-E-S-T. And to give you who are troubled, rest. Rest. Folk, in a day of affluence, it's a sad day when Christians fuss and fume because of a little bit of pressure or a little bit of hardship. We've got to learn this New Testament principle as we hasten to the coming of Christ. God wants in all of our affairs to give us rest. If we're not abiding in rest, we're not in the will of God. I want to say that again. If we're not abiding in rest, we're not abiding in the will of God. It is the will of God to give us rest, no matter what we're going through, no matter what it is that He calls upon us to endure. Our Lord wants us to experience rest as we await the fulfillment of the plan of the ages. As we bring this service to a close, are you abiding in rest? Feel in your spirit the rest that only he can give. Now, I don't know what's going to come between now and when we meet again. I know that tomorrow we have planned our annual staff retreat which goes through Tuesday evening. It's our yearly time of gathering to go over the calendar for the coming year, to pray together, your staff to evaluate all of the work this church is doing, see what we're doing poorly, see what we can do better, see what God may be saying to us for the days ahead. I know that's on the calendar, but I don't know In God's calendar of events, if we will ever meet again like this, it could be that there could be any number of things take place. Other nations have experienced it. The thing that will be the key overall, whatever comes, in Jesus Christ there is rest. And if you only have him in this building, you do not have him enough. You need him when you walk out of that door. You need to take him with you to the office. And if the bank collapses this week, you just smile and say, Praise God, he's got something good coming. That's right. And if the doctor gives you some bad diagnosis, you just praise him anyway. You just praise him anyway and rejoice. May God get the glory and may good come out of whatever it is he's bringing my way or allowing to come my way will you receive the teaching the big word is rest in verse seven circle it take it it's god's gift in whatever time we may be living amen and amen let's stand together
1: Coming down from the farm.
0: together, I feel prompted in my spirit to say there are people here who are not experiencing that peace or that rest. You've been arguing with God about where you are and what you're going through. God wants to release you from that and give you rest and give you peace. And if you are that person, I want you to slip down here to the place of prayer as we sing this again. I don't want you to hold back. I don't want you to hesitate. The altar is a wonderful place. Sunday nights are good times to get on our faces before God and say, God, work this thing out in my life. I need your rest. I need your peace. I'm troubled. It will bring you physical pain as well as spiritual loss. Come and settle it. The word is rest. The word is rest. He wants to give you his rest sing it. It's here. Come. Your move to the place of prayer could be the key that unlocks the door. Come as we sing.
1: Peace. Peace. Wonderful peace. Coming down from the Father above. Sweeper
0: come. God is still speaking to hearts. Don't hold back. Let Sunday night be a time of moving toward God, moving toward the place of prayer. If God lays upon your heart to come and pray with someone who has already come, answer God's call to be a helper and to be a minister of God's love and God's peace. This is holy
1: We're standing on holy ground. For. Peace.
0: So troubled. Tomorrow another week will begin for so many, and they will be worse than when it ended on Friday. Because they've spent their weekend in frivolity, they've spent their weekend seeking after things that do not satisfy. But we have taken time to come into the house of God, and here we've been ministered unto. Give us your peace. Give us rest. These who are kneeling, give them rest. Oh, God, with all of the burden that they carry, give them your underlying rest. May they be living in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. The suffering can be built up, buoyed along, carried by the love of God and the grace that he gives. Strengthen them now, O Lord, as they are upon their knees before you. And strengthen us all for the days that are ahead. We do not know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. And we lean wholly upon you, O God. Trust you for power. Trust you for strength. In Jesus' name, come and touch us now. We'll give you glory, Lord. The new members and doctrine. this is Pace, I'd like you to just make your way to the activity center. If you'd just like to remain standing or seated. We're just going to sing a bit and worship a bit. There'll be plenty of time. It's early. I just feel we ought to take some time to let God work and speak. If you have to go, you can, but these who are in prayer, I'd just like to see them stay in prayer. We want to minister to them. Then when you're through, you can slip down the hallway to the activity center, greet all of these. But let's not hurry. What do you say? If you're not comfortable and you want to sit down or whatever, just feel free if you can remain. Let's just worship God a bit together, shall we? He's in this place. I feel his presence so strongly. And I don't want us all to just move so quickly out of that. God may yet have something to say to us, something to do in us. I truly believe he does. Let's just worship him together. Learning to lean is a great old song we haven't sung for a while. I'm learning to lean on what? My circumstances? No. Learning to lean on Jesus. Let's sing it together. Let it be a build-up for these who are praying.
1: Learning to lean, I'm learning to lean, I'm learning to lean on Jesus, finding more power than I.